And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I am your host, Lauren Conaway, and I have to tell you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And we sure do love full scale. So today we're about to have a really, really awesome conversation. And I am super excited to, we have two guests with us today. So we'll see how we manage this. It's, I feel like it's going to be, you know, Lauren batting away balls and handling stuff. But we have two amazing friends and uh, gentlemen with us. We have Garnett Harriman and William Crowder, and they are managing partners of Aperture VC. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and for being with us on the show today. Thank you Thanks for having us. Oh, absolutely! I am so psyched. And so, so I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask the general question, but just know that I have like a million questions to ask you because I know you're working on some really exciting stuff. But first things first, tell us your story, tell us your journey, tell us how you a little bit about you, how you got here. We want to know. And why don't we go ahead and start with Garnett? Great. Thanks for having us. Um, my story as it relates to, to, to this and to work is, is, is sort, sort of a not atypical founder's journey, right? I, I built a few companies, had a little bit of success earlier in my career, um, transitioned to investing, and, and went through two-thirds of my career as what I would consider like an early-stage tech generalist, never really grasping the impact and the consequences of being the only, only person of color in the room or on the board of directors or on the cap table or as it were. And later, later in my career, I started to think more seriously about um, ways to use impact investing, my sort of core skill set to, to do things in that area and um, got involved in opportunity zone investments. Uh, that's how you and I met Lauren. That's right. Um, became a huge fan of the Kansas City uh, ecosystem, uh, among others, yep, among other things. And um, then uh, had, had known William for years and then got reconnected and he showed me a plan for creating a new paradigm for corporate diversity investing and it just blew my socks off. And so uh, in a nutshell, you know, that's me. I'm the, the son of a, an, an immigrant single mom from the Caribbean, um, went to a few fancy schools, uh, always on scholarship because we were squarely lower middle class. Uh, and fell into entrepreneurship, fell into investors, and then realized that maybe we had a platform to do things with all, with that collective set of experiences. That is amazing. I, I love individuals who use their platforms for the common good. So, and I and I know that you do that, Garnett. You and I have known each other for a while. Now, William, you and I, we have never met, but I have heard some pretty amazing things about you. So you're you're gonna you're gonna knock my socks off. I, I feel it. I'm applying the pressure because I know it's gonna happen. But how about you? Tell it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, it, you know, it's funny because you're right. We have not met, but I feel like we have because I've heard your name a million times too. I know. 
so, <laughs> this is kind of like a virtual family reunion. I know, um, she's already my friend. What's already, <laughs> already. Our work here is done. Um, so I, you know, my, I, I, I'm originally from North Carolina um, and born, raised, educated there and have done a ton of different things over the course of multiple careers. But the one that's most relevant to this conversation started about 10 years ago. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I um, uh, started working with startups via Dream Adventures, which was a startup accelerator where I was a partner and also doing work for them in collaboration with Comcast, where we were focused on um, finding more diverse founders back in 2011, when the world would say that there were no diverse founders to be found. And they certainly, if you did find them, they weren't worthy of investment. And so my entire experience at that, at that point in time was to disprove that narrative. And it ultimately ended up becoming the theme of the next 10 years of my professional um, career. So I spent four or five, five years at Dreamit building out a program that would specifically, excuse me, specifically go out and find diverse founders. Um, while doing that, Comcast Ventures asked me to launch with them the first corporate-backed diversity fund, uh, which is now called the Catalyst Fund. And we did that in 2012, uh, built that from scratch, ran that for them for about five years. Um, Morgan Stanley asked me to do something similar for them. And so I helped them create what is now called their Multicultural Innovation Lab. Um, it's an accelerator for women and founders of color, which is run out of New York. And we just literally, today's my last day with um, running that with them. Shut the front um, door. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> um, it's been a great ride. Um, but they've done this for several years and it's expanding. So I feel like my work there is done as well. And um, out, of, out of all of that, um, it just led me to the, 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 I guess over the time I was effectively a, a student of the game. I just kept watching what was happening around me and just feeling like there was more that could be done, more in terms of bringing um, diversity into the startup ecosystem, um, both in terms of ethnicity, in terms of racial background, gender, location, all these things um, were meaningful and just weren't being addressed appropriately. And so um, I felt there were limitations of the traditional model. There were limitations of corporations trying to do this by themselves and um, came up with a new idea, which I shared with Garnett, um, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago at this point, um, which was, hey, what would happen if we went and found a bunch of corporations and said, we'll do the heavy lifting for you. All we need you to do is show up with your capital and your resources, make your, your strategic resources available for the benefit of a portfolio that is going to be far more representative of the, of, of the, of the, of the country. And you do that for us and we'll go find the founders and we'll create some incredible companies. And so here we are. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so you folks listening at home, you you cannot see, but at multiple points, as William's been talking, I just get a big old shit eating grin on my face. <laughs> You're doing incredible work, my friend. I mean, yeah. I just I, I don't think there is anyone amongst us who doesn't understand the need for 
diversity in opportunity and how you know what, what's the say a, a rising tide lifts all boats lifts all boats that's right yeah yeah exactly so so good on you both of you my friends and so usually at this point in the show i would be like so tell me what you do and we would talk tactics and we would talk but <laughs> i don't want to do that with you because i think first i want to provide some context for our listeners and i want to talk about the problem um you mentioned a couple of different things and, and so the first question that i want to ask you and william you said this you were talking about the limitations um, that you see both founders experience. And then, I mean, there are limitations that corporations experience when they're trying to find founders to invest in. And there are all kinds of problems that contribute to the, the, the symptom, like the, the problem, there, there are problems. And then there is the symptom of not seeing enough diversity in tech and not, not enough diverse founders, but there are all kinds of mitigating circumstances that contribute to that. So, so can you talk to us about that a little bit? Like what are some of the challenges and opportunities that sure. we have in this space yeah well you know i, I think that it, it's um you know the nature of the limitations has really just come from it, it's 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 all self-inflicted wounds from my perspective mm -hmm. and it's it's really like if you think about what happened you know in 2020 with george floyd and what kind of impact that had on the entire country. And all of a sudden, everyone says, oh, you know, it was, showed, you know, it was a mirror and allowed us to see ourselves differently, yada, yada, yada. It's like, look, that's been happening for a really long time. And it was only, it, it, that, that trigger point caused people, for whatever reason, to really start to investigate why things weren't the way they thought they should be. Right. And what we found was that, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that I wasn't doing this or I wasn't doing that. I didn't realize that we didn't have nearly enough women on our board. I'm not sure how you could not know that because you meet every quarter. So, you know, it's kind you of- You look around the room and like nothing is sticking out at you. It's just literally looking you in the face the whole time. Yeah. And so what's ultimately happened is that these limitations that everyone has experienced have largely been because these 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 issues have gone ignored and and underappreciated. Right. And so folks like us, people in this on this in this conversation, we're not like we're 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 not unlike many other people that look just like us. Like we've been saying this for a long time, no one's been listening. And so now people have started to listen, they started to recognize what's happened. You've got homogenous investors, you've got, and, and when I say investors, I don't mean just the investors in startups. I mean the investors in the investors in startups. They all look the same and they all operate in the same way and they all think the same and they run the same networks. And so as a result, you get the same outcome. It's just like you can put those different ingredients together, whichever order you want, it's all going to taste the same when all gets mixed together. Right. And so until you change those ingredients, you're not going to get a different flavor. You're just not. And so founders have run into, um, into that homogenous way of thinking. That's what has been the, 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 it's been at the crux of everything else you experience. And so if you ask yourselves, well, why is it that I have this great idea, but I can't seem to find capital for the, for the idea? Okay, your, your idea might not be as good as you think. Well, let's just assume that it is. And so well, why haven't you gotten the capital for it? And there's all these different places you could go to get it, but they're not looking for you. Historically, they haven't been looking for 
a great idea run by or, or, or coming from someone who looks like you or someone who comes from Kansas City or these other parts of the country, like you don't fit the mold. And in our business of venture capital, if you don't fit the pattern, then we don't do it. Like that's, that's just the nature right. of the business. And so we've had, we have to challenge those patterns and to create new ways of thinking so that people can have different outcomes. And I think that, you know, the theme of 2020 in the midst of all of its uh, horribleness, if that's a word, was that um, it, you know, finally the world was listening and we'll see what they do with that in 2021 and 22 and beyond. But in 2020, finally people started listening and we'll see what happens. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think I think one of the the interesting, well, you said a lot of interesting stuff, but one of the really interesting points that I just kind of want to live in for a second is the fact that, you know, we're talking about that boardroom and we're looking around and we're not seeing women and we're not seeing people of color and we're not seeing people from any marginalized community at the table. And the fact is, like, if you don't think about it, because you said, you know, people don't think about it. If you don't think about it, that generally comes from a place of privilege, Right. I don't think about it because I don't have to think about it. It's not something that's part of my paradigm. And so I think that, you know, to your point, we've kind of reached this moment of great sea change in our society where people are, if not listening, preparing to listen, getting ready to listen, um, adjusting, and, and finally reaching a point where they can engage in that critical analysis of what's going on around them. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that we're kind of at the precipice of some really exciting, um, at times it's it's going to be painful, um, at times it's going to be really, really beneficial. Um, but we're, we're just standing at the precipice of this point in history that I hope will bring us, bring about some really great systemic change. But yeah. you, my friends, are on the forefront of that. And so Garnett, I'm going to ask you, tell us about Aperture VC. Sure. What's your deal? <laughs> sure. Uh, Aperture VC is a, an early stage um, tech investment uh, fund that is focused on um, uh, African-American, Latin American, and female founders primarily, but not exclusively. The model is something that we're really proud of. It's based on an idea that William had years ago. And, um, you know, to honor certain points that both you, you and he made earlier in, in your, in, in, in your um, uh, speaking parts, uh, no one was prepared to listen to it five years ago or six years ago or, or whenever you first came up with the idea. Uh, and increasingly over the last 18 months or so, roughly, people are, are more willing to, to participate in that dialogue uh, and maybe get to that jumping point, that precipice you were talking about, and, and make some changes, get off the sidelines. Um, uh, $75 million fund um, focused on fintech, enterprise, and consumer, um, and special opportunities and, and special situations as well. Um, uh, help me, William, if I'm, if I'm missing any key. Um, I think the... The other thing we'll we'll um, we'll emphasize is the connectivity between <clears throat> excuse me between our fund and our investors. <laughs> so um, you know the the thing that that's uniquely that that is unique about Aperture is that we want corporations to be investors in our fund, 
And we don't want just their money. We don't want just their capital, but we want their capabilities. So we're looking for opportunities to connect um, early stage companies with the resources, the vast resources that corporations have that can be meaningful to the journey of those startups. And so whether they are disrupting a space and ironically, maybe even disrupting the space of our corporate investor, we don't care. Um, but the idea here is that these companies that have been largely successful um, due to the patronage and other things that people like us have provided them, that this is an opportunity for them to give back in a meaningful way that creates more value, not just for them, but for the overall health of the economy. And so we want to kind of be in many ways that connective tissue between them and the next wave of um, game-changing companies. And we want to do that um, in a way that effectively levels the playing field for those that have not had an opportunity to see that happen for them has, um, over the years. Lauren, I want to um, drop some messaging points on you and the audience. Uh, we, we think of the <laughs> model that we are perfecting, because it's, it's certainly going to continue to grow and change and expand over time. We think of it as the diversity investing API, and I'm sure the the full scale folks will appreciate appreciate the metaphor. They're gonna uh, love. That. <laughs> in that we sit in between these two robust universes. On the one side, there's the the universe of corporations with, as, as William pointed out, not only capital but capabilities and resources and all sorts of other things, right? Um, uh, and then on the other side, this universe or ecosystem of diverse founders. Um, and, and what we try to do is systematically connect both universes um, on valences that are meaningful to both sides, on diversity, on metrics, on reportage, on product and tech development, on sales and distribution. And we like to think of that as basically bringing the best of diverse startups to the corporations, including especially innovation, and bringing the best of corporations to diverse startups in a systematic way, hence the, hence the API um, concept. Um, and that's, you know, that, that is, that has turned out to be a, a very important concept and a very important way of describing what is essentially a, a, a bilateral engagement model where value exchange flows in both directions. Yeah. And well, that, that, that was, that was excellent branding, my friend, <laughs> but no, I mean, really, really useful, awesome information. And, and again, like I, I I've said this and I'm probably going to say it more, like, I feel like you are filling in a niche that is vastly underfilled, uh, as of right now. And the fact is, you know, when, when we talk about pipeline problems in the tech community, the entrepreneurial community, um, I, I think that we make that problem larger than it actually is. Usually it is not a pipeline issue. It is an intention issue. You know, we're not making great strides to seek out different communities that don't look and think and act like us. And therefore we're just like, oh, it didn't fall into our lap. And so it doesn't exist. <laughs> and I, I see yep. that time and time again. Yep. And so the fact that you are, you're, you're acting as both a catalyst and a conduit to communities that have heretofore been unreached. Yep. And so you know, you're just, you're filling a very important role. And I just, I want to take a moment to honor and acknowledge that, you know, as someone who belongs to one of those communities, like 
fuck yeah, thank you. Finally. <laughs> you know? um, and, and, and I'm sure that you probably feel the same way. Oh. Like, you're like, where was I when I was coming up? You know, yes. I'm sure you yeah. probably had those thoughts. I um, regularly. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so good on you. And, and I, I just, I applaud you and your efforts. Um, I Thank also, you. well, I also applaud the efforts. Uh, I just want to throw this out here. I'm going to do my thing. But today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software to end affordably. And we applaud the crap out of that. We love, we love <laughs> Fullscale. They, they keep us funded. They keep us on track. They do all kinds of amazing things. And what they really, really do very well is they help their clients build their software teams quickly, affordably, get off the ground, get running, and take away the headache of managing software teams. How many times in your career, gentlemen, have you said that to yourself? Like, I wish this were easier when you're trying to like build an app or something, or you talk to founders. Have you talked to founders who have issues doing that? Always. It's oh, yeah. just so hard. <laughs> you're hitting real close to home because you're talking- I know, I know. You're, well, you're, you're I, talking I to a serial, serial non-tech founder, right? I see, I knew, I knew you would get it. And I knew that you would understand why full scale is so awesome. So definitely, Listeners at home, if you are thinking about engaging in tech, building a software team, building an app, starting that tech company, definitely think about tapping fullscale.io. We, we adore them and our hats are off to them. Um, so, so one of the things that I wanna ask you about here is you keep on mention, mentioning that kind of corporate engagement piece. Um, and I don't often hear talk of corporations when I hear talk of venture capital funds firms and funds. And I know that that's, that's certainly a piece of it, but I want to ask you, well, I want to say something first. So, so beg my, I, I, I beg forgiveness. Um, but one of the things that we talk a lot about at IHKC is that social contract. Uh, the fact that if you succeed in this life, you then have a, an obligation to reach back behind you and pull those behind you forward and pull them up because you have availed yourself of resources and then you become a resource, right? It's the social contract. So do you think that corporations have a responsibility to, to invest in, in diverse, uh, diverse entrepreneurs and founders and, and why? Talk to us about Garnett. that. I'm going to let Garnett do it because I know, I know he's confident a bit to, to, to answer this question. Uh, okay, so uh, short answer, yes. Full stop. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, you know, the broader, the, the, the broader, more, you know, more conversational uh, answer is one, we have to share with you that we have a very powerful uh, female fund advisor who sat us down in the midst of our frustration with the early fundraising. Um, and um, which was going not great <laughs> and told us essentially, Hey, corporations have an existential crisis on their hands because they haven't done right by, by women and folks of color for many, many years. And that universe or those universes are starting to wake up to that fact. I, I was blown away. You know, I've never heard the word existential used outside of a, like a French literature class. You know, I feel like so, I'd like to meet this woman just because she used the term existential in this context. I'm just saying. Well, don't you think, don't you think Sue and uh, Sue Tuigo and Lauren would get along well? I think, I think they really would. I think you need extra time for the episode. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and 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 what she was getting at was that this this notion of what it means to be a good corporate citizen is no longer based around um, philanthropy. It's no longer based around uh, giving, you know, uh, finite amounts to you know, uh, uh, underserved communities. At the same time that your business is actually underserving the communities and and under you know underrepresenting the communities and underfunding the communities. There's like a cognitive it's, disconnect there. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you know who's really great at calling this out? And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stand on the shoulders of a giant, but Darren Walker wrote a book called uh, if I'm not mistaken, From From Generosity to Justice. That's pretty but that, that pretty much cuts to the quick right there. You know, the, the, the folks that we are focused on supporting with, with investment are not looking for handouts. They're not looking for donations. They're not looking for philanthropy. They're looking for, you know, access to capital um, like, like anyone else. And they'll, they'll live and die by their own merits and their own wits and their, their own innovation. Um, and I think honoring that concept is something that a lot of corporations historically have not done well at. Um, and that's it, you know? Yeah. For sure. Well, and I, I think that there is this, there may be, and this may be changing, I don't know, but I, I've certainly heard the idea or, or felt it bandied about that you engage in, or you engage and you invest in companies that are founded by diverse founders, uh, whatever that looks like to you, but you do so as a matter of kindness or charity or what have you. But the fact is these businesses and these startups and these founders, they experience significantly greater rates of return at, at, as compared to their, their white cisgender, you know, male, whatever peers, right? These businesses outperform, but there is some, what is it that keeps our, our corporations and our investors? What, ha, what, what is the disconnect there? Do you, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't even know. William, what do you think? I, I see that you have a very thoughtful look on your face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, part of the issue, though, is that it's been, there's been a disincentive to do anything associated with this work. And the disincentive has been you're trying to tell people who have become insanely wealthy doing what they do that mm -hmm. somehow they should change what they do. And, and you know, the first reaction okay. is, Prove it. Like, what is it that I'm missing? And so, you know, they'll say, well, there's been no big exit by a black or brown person. And so therefore I'm not changing what I do. You know, we see everything every day. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Because my calendar's full. And so until you show me who it was that I didn't meet with and they became super successful, I'm not going to change what I do. And so you're trying to change that perspective and convince them that there's money being left on the table. You certainly aren't going to appeal to their um, their sense of fair play and everyone should have opportunity, whatever, because that's not a part of their business whatsoever. It's not what they do. It's not right. what they're familiar with. So that's not going to work. So if you try to appeal from at the very base level, which is effectively greed, the desire to have more than you have today, then you have to prove that there's more over here than you thought and mm -hmm. that it's worth you making that decision that I'm not going to meet with this particular entity because they look like everything else I've looked at before. And I actually am going to go over here because there might be something over here that's more valuable. Right. So 
we've effectively been in this battle for many, many years to get people to be willing to, uh, you know, incur the opportunity cost of not taking that easy one and coming over here and exploring this other territory to see if there's something over there for you. I had a conversation with a very, very well-known and extremely successful VC many, many years ago, not many, many years ago, but a few years ago. Did you and, just dated yourself? You're like, man, I, I, I have to be careful about that. <laughs> so we're, we're coming back from New York, um, which I, I used to do before the pandemic all the time. Um, and I asked him, I said, hey, you know, do you guys ever, you know, do you ever um, go to Atlanta? Do you ever look at Atlanta for opportunities to invest in founders? And he's like, no, why would we do that? And I was like, well, why wouldn't you do that? And the response was, well, you know, I went there once, but, you know, they just don't have entrepreneurial DNA down there. And I was like, in Atlanta? What? Like the entire Southeast. I was like, whoa. And so they had written off an entire region and they wouldn't even have a conversation with them. Now, that same venture fund is one of the top five seed stage venture funds in the country, if not the world. And they were unwilling to even consider it. Now, fast forward a few years, and now that same fund is looked upon as some trailblazer in understanding the power of investing in female founders, as an example. So all of a sudden, they're a diversity champion. But this is but these same the same group of folks would not even set foot in an entire region of the country because they had decided that there was no opportunity there. And so I think that's the theme. That's that's again, it's the theme that everyone's kind of trying to work through is this notion that there is other value out there that's been left on the table. Yeah. And you have to kind of get people to understand that from a different perspective because if you just come at them in a direct way, they're not going to agree. They'll just refuse to accept that they could possibly have been leaving money on the table intentionally. So you can't make them that way. If you come in through a different way, somewhat more circuitous, then you may get them to recognize there's opportunity that they've been missing and they want to take advantage of it without the guilt of having to admit they screwed it up. So basically (laughs) you're you're trying to say, you've been real dumb, stop it. In a nice way. <laughs> in a nice way. In a nice, very nice way. Nice to get you to invest. Yeah. Nice to yeah. get you to invest. And then we can have the real talk. But no, yeah. but, but that is part of it. Um, but at the same time, it, it is it is dumb. And it's been dumb across all parts of the economic spectrum. And yeah. so I like to take people back to 1947. Jackie Robinson becomes the first Black baseball player in the professional leagues, or at least in Major League Baseball. And everyone kind of looks at that and says, oh, yeah, he broke the race barrier. It's like, no, that's not what it was. That, you know, Yes, that was part of it, but that wasn't a barrier that he broke. He broke through the barrier of narrow-minded thinking. That's it. Yeah. And he and everyone else who came behind him in the same year, ironically, um, truly took that to a whole different level. And it forced people to ask the question, what the hell took us so long? How could we have allowed all these black baseball players to just keep playing baseball in front of these packed stadiums where people were paying to come see them play? Why wouldn't we want to have them here in our uniforms and in our baseball stadiums doing the same thing, making us a whole lot of money? Yeah. And it took all of that to get someone to finally say that. And then the rest is history. 
And so we've seen this play out across all different parts of, of business, but for whatever reason, venture capital has been slow to adopt that same perspective. And so here we are, and hopefully this time is going to be different. Hey, Lauren, there yeah. a couple of com- times in the conversation, you, you've used the word intention. Uh, William has used the word intention and intentionality a few times. I, I want to just borrow a, a, an axiom from another part of my life, from the meditation part of my life that talks about intention in a way that I think is super relevant and relevant to the Jackie Robinson metaphor too. Um, when, when you change the way you look at the world, you change the world around you, period. That's yeah. it, you know, and it, it doesn't get more complicated. No, I, I, I love that. Honestly, like, I feel like that's a, that, that's the next tattoo. Uh, no, that is, uh, that is awesome. <laughs> Um, well, so, so Garnett, I'm going to, I'm going to point this one to you and I'm going to ask you, and I know, I know Garnett, I know you, you and I have known each other for a while and I know that you are just chomping at the bit to tell us all about where to find Aperture VC and we're going to get there, I promise. But I want to ask you one more question first, maybe two, maybe two. Sure. Uh, so the question is, um, what advice do you have to potential investors when it co- as it pertains to investing in diverse founders? Like how to get involved, like w- whatever that is, you are the expert. Tell them what they need to hear. And, and are these a d- direct or indirect investment? Are they investing in companies or investing in funds in, in your mind? Or are you, are you uh, you're looking at let's, uh, let's fund investment? Because I think that's where you're yeah. living right now. So let's sure. do that. Sure. <laughs> It's dead simple. It's a it's a capital allocation efficiency issue, right? Which is a, a lot of jargony nonsense for basically how do I how do I put money to work as quickly and as frictionlessly as possible and have the most possible impact in the shortest possible time? And that's that's what it boils down to for us. We don't increasingly we're seeing our dialogues uh, with folks who might be interested in in participating in in Aperture as an LP investor go from having to explain exactly what you just asked me um, to people, you know, now basically finishing our sentences and 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 making the argument that uh, it's way more it's way more efficient way more the word that comes up is impactful you know um uh to find folks like william and me and and put lots and lots of money to work uh through through the fund that can do a much better job of finding and funding and nurturing uh diverse startups um so i'll I'll add something to that which is when it comes to investing in diverse founders, I mean, one of the one of the, the biggest challenges that the typical investor has, whether they be a VC um, or someone who actually wants to invest in other funds, is that they lack the the network that usually gets them to the right people. Right. Um, and so we try to fill that gap, fill that need yep. uh, on behalf of our investors, which is, hey, we have a great network and we know how to find founders from all over the country that are working on some amazing things. So we'll take that responsibility. What we also will do is we'll, we'll do that in a way that capitalizes on something that we think makes us unique, which is we've got experience doing this stuff. Like we're not newcomers to the fight. We've been around for a while. And so therefore there's an, there's a benefit to having that available to founders. 
But what that means, if you're an investor, whether you are looking to invest in a fund or whether you're looking to invest in diverse founders, I, I, I argue that you need to do this, like much like we think about it, it's, there's a, it's a strength in numbers approach. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same even if you are an individual investor. Go find some other people who want to do the same thing because the diverse founders need people to show up with scale. You know, it's great if they find someone who wants to invest and put in $25,000. That's great. It really is. But what they really need is that $25,000 check times 10. And whether that's nine other people that are willing to do it or that's one entity that's willing to write a check for 250, yeah. both of those are good for them. So the more they can come in contact with people who want to do this and the more that you as an investor are in the company of people who want to do this, the far more rewarding it's going to be. And I think that's true from a financial standpoint. It's certainly true from a personal satisfaction standpoint. And it's true in terms of getting more activity happening in this space and with this cause. And so that's what I would encourage people to do is go find your tribe is what we tell founders all the time when you're raising capital. Yeah. It only goes fast when you find your tribe. Up until that point, it's slow because you're trying to find your tribe. Absolutely. Well, and I love, and, and, and we referenced this a little bit earlier, you know, in the, in the chat, but the fact that like it, investors aren't just a wallet, you know, I mean, yeah, we definitely want those $250,000 checks, but investors also represent networks, mentorship, access to resources, access to additional people, further funders. Like there, there are any number of things that I know entrepreneurs look at when they're looking to work with an investor. And, and, and so the fact that you are, you're almost, you're creating a little micro ecosystem <laughs> because you have, you know, yourself, you have you know, William Garnett, you know, the different organizations that have many, many resources at their, their command and, you know, they, the fund administrators and like you have all of these people who are kind of coalescing into a supportive environment that is prepared and culturally competent to deal with founders who have had different experiences from the, white, you know, white, male, cisgender, like this, what you think of when you think of the typical startup founder. Yes. Um, so I just, I, I just want to reiterate again, like, I just think that what you are doing, it's so important. Um, and and I, I think it's really, really vital that we, we underscore that, like what you're doing is really important and it's really rare. And so hopefully, you know, we see Aperture VC success and then that expounds and it, it platform it like springboards, that's what I'm looking for, <laughs> springboards <laughs> into other funds saying, hey, if they pulled this off, maybe we can too. And then it becomes a self, you know, cycling yep. prophecy, self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Indeed. So, Garnett, how can people connect and get involved with Aperture VC? The best way is probably the website, www.apertureapertureevc.com. Uh, yeah. And uh, when they go to that website, they're going to see some pretty impressive stuff, right? Well, you know, this is something I learned from studying your leadership at, at IHKC. Um, <laughs> William and I, William and I have thought a lot about, you know, the many companies that we may not be able to invest in. You know, we're just, yeah. we're one fund. We're probably not going to change the world with the 25 or 30 companies that are, that are in the, in the portfolio. Uh, 
as much as we would like to change the model for investing in, in, in diverse founders. Uh, and what that said, what we'd like to do is create uh, a platform for elevating the voices of diverse yes. and female founders. And so no matter what happens, there'll, there'll always be a section on the Aperture website that does that. Awesome. It's called well, Aperture I, Voices, I, by the way. Yeah, I, I can't, Aperture Voices. Um, well, I am definitely gonna check that out and I invite all of our listeners playing at home to do that as well, because clearly we are in the presence of, of a couple of gentlemen who are doing some really, really amazing work. Uh, amazing gentlemen, are you ready for your human question? Fire away. Okay, here it comes. Uh, and actually, I, I put very little thought into that question before I started speaking, so now I'm kind of stuck. Uh, but actually, Garnett, you, you actually said something earlier, and I wrote, I wrote it down because I really want to read from generosity to justice now. And so I'm going to ask you, uh, what are you reading right now? Uh, not nearly as elevated or as dignified as Mr. Walker. I'm 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 rereading something that uh, that I, so, someone gave to me I think in 2020, which which helped me um, which helped me get through a tough year. Yeah. Uh, it's called the uh, the fine art of not giving a fuck. By <gasps> Mark uh, Mason. Mark, oh, who wrote that? I, Mark Mason. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. And how about you, Mr. William, Mr. Crowder? You know, <laughs> I am officially not reading anything right now. <gasps> Good for you. And instead, um, you know, we we recently moved. Um, as Garnet made a congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> and so rather than spending my time with anything um, uh, inanimate, um, we also have a a new addition to our family, which is a four legged friend that is snoring um, off camera right now. Oh my gosh, is that uh, what that is? Yes. Oh, it made me so much happier knowing that that's what I was. We were talking about a power tool. It's a buzzsaw. <laughs> it's, cl it's clearly a buzzsaw. We were having so, some feedback issues before we started yeah. recording, and it was like, what is that? Well, it was it was the dog, apparently. Yeah, so I'm spending my time learning how to train a puppy. So. That is so cool. That is a much cooler answer than my question allowed for. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, well, gentlemen, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come and, and talk to us. And I feel like we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. And I feel like we could probably fill up three of these, um, but we're, we're not going to do that just yet. Maybe someday down the line, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, but thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom with us and share your story. Thanks for having thank us. You, Lauren. Absolutely. And to our dear listeners, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and your busy schedule to be with us here at Startup Hustle. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And I would be absolutely remiss if I did not remind you, have you heard? And actually, I'm going to ask you this. William Garnett, have you heard that we actually started our own TV show about entrepreneurship? <gasps> did you know? I heard I heard about it. You I, heard I, I, about I it? 
I keep seeing um, snippets of it in my like. Yeah, well, it's pretty cool. Um, It involves a lot of talking to cameras more than I would like, but you can head on over to YouTube, search for Startup Hustle, and you can watch myself and fellow founder cast members share the real story of what it takes to start, build, and grow a business. And you also get to hear me cuss a lot, which surprises (laughs) absolutely no one, and I don't think that's a good thing. But uh, definitely check that out, listeners. Keep on listening to Startup Hustle, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Lauren. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.